Welcome back everybody to another episode of Tempo and Flow Music Industry Talks. We've got a guest, um we've got a guest that I'm excited about today. Um he's got an illustrious career. He's done so much. Um yeah, I'm just excited to have him on. And um I think everyone will have questions. He's a DJ, broadcaster, um, there's a lot that he does, do you know what I mean? And remember as well, if you go and check this out on um, the podcast, you know, on Spotify and Apple, um, the Insta Live is also, the video is there, so the Insta Live video is there for everyone to watch. Um, so yeah, man, we do this for the next generation, let's get this started. I can see he's requested already. Let's get him involved. Let's get him in the leap. <laughs> there he is. Yo. Brother, Mr. Jab. How you doing, Lloyd? I'm loving that shirt, you know. Thank you. Thank you. It's an Aswa special. <laughs> that shirt is looking serious. It's looking listen, very serious. Listen, all I need to do is just kind of rip it a little bit and I can say that, you know, it's some... Some super special designer piece, but nah, 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 it's ASOS 1399, mate. <laughs> I love that, I love that, I love that. So thank you very much for doing this. Like, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, oh, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for asking. Nah, big up, man. I don't, I just to provide the context, and you might know to anyone tuning in, um, Tempo Flow started as a live night that I was running at Notting Hill Arts Club uh, with two friends, Selena and Lauren. And during lockdown, we were just talking and we saw a few people doing Insta Lives and we was like, why don't, why don't we do one? So, you know, Rich Costello is our first guest and people have been wanting to come on. You know, we've got weeks lined up of guests and... When I, I saw you watch the Richard Costello one. And yes. Thought, okay, I should I should get Jam on this, you know. Like, you tuned in, he watched, you asked a couple of questions. So I was like, yeah, man, like, let's get him on it. But I asked you, you know, you said, like, you would. You know, you didn't hesitate. So, here we are, man. I mean, as you say, you know, you, you're doing this for the next generation. And I think, for me, I always try and put myself in the position of being, you know, the 14-year-old the version of me. And what, what would I want to see from people? Because when I first started coming up, there was very few that looked like me that mm. were doing the things that I'm doing now, especially, you know, coming from Nottingham as I, me and Rich do. You know, I've, I've known Rich for a long time. I won't, yeah. I, won't, I won't go down the road of, you know, <laughs> talking about family jewels and stuff, but, you know, there's certain things that like, I've known yeah. him for a long time and there's a very few, there's a very small number of us. Let's have some banter straight away. A little birdie told me you guys, did you act together? We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What go. I will say is, <laughs> if you know Vicky McClure, she's an amazing actress. She's our friend. We've right. known her for a number of years. And if you've ever watched anything Shane Meadows, mm. then you know, then you've seen our friends. Okay. Um, okay. But, but I was never good enough to be in the Shane Meadows project. <laughs> 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 to be honest, I was never really that good. I'm much better at music than I am ever at, at acting. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, yeah, so it's it's all right So good. Thanks. But no, 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 it was just like, you know, trying to take myself back to being that 14-year-old that kid that wanted to try and be in the music industry, that wanted to try and make a career out of music and, you know, being on the radio and playing music. It was very, very hard for me to kind of figure out how to get 
in there. So anything that I can do to try and help that next generation or, you know, in between, then I'm, I'm there. So when you asked me, Lloyd, it was like, okay, cool, no problem. Yeah, um, that's the thing, you know, I also, you know, saw I Love Live and Urban Development when I was coming through and it was like, what could we do for people at home? And that's mm. why it's a podcast. People could go back and listen to it. The video stays on the page. It's about just dropping those gems and tips. So let's get into it. How did Mr. Joe get started? Uh, well, that's, you know, how long have you got? No, nah, I'm joking. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, 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 it's going back to as far as I can remember. I've posted it so many times on my Instagram, but there's a photo of me about two years old with one of these. You know what this is? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> this is a Fisher-Price record player. Just look at that. <laughs> that was my first deck. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So two years old, I started to get obsessed because these decks would play proper records. So I started to get obsessed with music. They and started to play records? They would play, they play proper records. No, that's crazy. So at the age of two, so like the age that my youngest daughter is right now, I got so obsessed with these small black plastic things that had sound yeah. on them. Yeah. And from that point onwards, I just became completely obsessed, completely obsessed by music to the point where, you know, I inherited all of the family's record collections. Um, I'd spend hours and hours and hours just listening to music, studying music, reading the liner notes on records and just always wanting to be involved in music. And I remember, I remember seeing my older cousin um, showed me Juice, the film Juice, when I was really young. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't recommend showing that film to a youngster. But <laughs> for me, watching the DJ battle scenes was like, wow. Yeah. Okay, so people can do that with music. All right, cool. Yeah. And, you know, thanks to that, that bootleg VHS, that was kind of like, okay, I'd like to be a DJ. So yeah. we're talking like nine ten eleven trying to kind of figure out how i can make music stick together and always having this dream of of, of making my own music and being on the radio and there was a, a um a project at the heist and green youth club called dark that stood for drugs awareness reality and knowledge back home in nottingham courtney rose black viking set it up and the idea was is that you'd go there you'd get black history you'd get drug awareness and if you, if you did enough in black history and drug awareness, you got free studio time at the community studio. So, so I went there, I did as, the best that I possibly could uh, and got free studio time. And DJ Fever was there. DJ Fever taught me how to scratch, taught me how to mix. Um, from there, I met Courtney's brother, Big Trev. I started going to CRS, which is Community Recording Studio, which, you know, you fast forward to now, it's the same place that gave us Young T and Bugsy, gave us Out the Ville. Um, so I was there at the same time as Out the Ville. I was DJing for them for a period of time and just kind of, just figuring out how can I get involved in this stuff? How can I, how can I do this properly? And th those early days were amazing, like kind of being able to travel down to London. When I was 14, I was a guest on Westwood show with uh, Lee Ramsey and Temper, which was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I was cutting up in one of the other studios and they were in the other studio and the record skipped. It's the first time that I was ever on radio, the record skipped. Right. That, was, that wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of fast forward to me being in my early 20s, having tried to pursue an acting career and, you know, used to be 
on TV in the daytime soap, which was a great job to do. From there, I went. Right, and you got to name it. No, nah, Google it. Google it. Google it. Google it. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for the tempo and flow that's about like acting. <laughs> enough, Google it. Enough. Google it. But from there, I went on uh, and I did a, a musical in the West End. And while I was in the West End, you know, I'd, I'd established myself as kind of like this this underground DJ in Nottingham, living in the in, living in East London at that point, doing a musical in the West End, literally spending all of the money that I was earning at record shops and meeting all of the all of the london djs and meeting shorty blitz and even though he's originally from nottingham um meeting semtex you know all of those people in person these are people that i'd written to for years trying to get on their mailing lists you know big up to rob pasco he was the first person to put me on a mailing list him and dj swing rest in peace put me on a mailing list when i was that 14 year old kid uh, mailing lists of those things that you used to back in the day you used to have to as a dj write in to apply to a mailing list they'd send you promo records you'd play those promo records at the youth clubs that i was djing at at that point you'd fill in the reaction sheet you'd fill in a chart that you would sent to music week and you know so mm. early 20s linked up with joe buddha again back home in nottingham after the the musical didn't work and started to do events so we put on events uh helped him and ran an independent hip hop record label with him called Sure Shot. Um, you know, put out various different records, put out, you know, did loads of various events, ended up DJing for like random different American artists, legendary hip hop artists. And, you know, we, we did that for a number of years and all behind this, I'm trying to get my foot into radio. So there's Nottingham Trent University in Nottingham. Every single year, they used to get a limited run license for FM for their student radio station. And they'd have a few slots for local residents. Mm. So I basically, at the age of 15, 16, still doing my GCSEs, was the size that I am now. I've been this size since I was like <laughs> 10. You and me both. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you know, you know, when people used to say to you, at your age, not your shoe size, and you go, no, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be size 12 and it was like, no, nah, no one's messing with me. Uh, yeah. I bullied my way onto Fly FM, and that was my first taste of proper radio, and that was ridiculous. And from there, you know, working with Joe Buda, we used to have a show on Pirate, we used to have a show on Unique FM back home in Nottingham, um, and then he stepped aside from doing the radio, and I carried on, and I used to have to kind of record my radio shows onto Minidisc, and then take them to the studio manager's house, so that no, none of us knew where the studio was, so we couldn't get raided. Um, <laughs> So all the shows were kind of pre-recorded and we started to do after doing these promotions we did this thing called uk takeover where the idea was is that you know the grime scene was over here the uk hip-hop scene was over there but the big tunes were the big tunes in both raves mm. we tried to put a rave on in nottingham that would link both people together so you'd have klashnikov you'd have black twang you'd have rodney p on the same bill that you'd have wiley that you'd have bizzle that you know that you'd have kano so these are all acts that we booked. And from that point, you know, I'm meeting all of these people. I'm having to book them. So I knew how much everybody cost. I'm having to deal with their agent. You know, we're doing all of these things. And I'm doing all of this while I've got a day job. And we booked a, a rapper, legendary rapper called KRS-One, back home in Nottingham um, at Rock City. And yeah. we got in touch with One Extra because the studio, uh, the studio manager of Unique, big up to Lady V, her son... Amali 
was one of the original One Extra DJs, young dancehall DJ, original One Extra DJs. So she had the link to One Extra, gave us the link. We invited them up to Nottingham to come and do a live broadcast of the KRS-One gig. And the idea is, is if you know anything about KRS-One, his thing is that he's the teacher. So as much as he wants to rap, he also wants to debate. He also wants to kind of do educational things. So the day after the gig at the Broadway cinema, we put on a speech. We put on like a live talk and a debate and invited one extra to come up. They came up and did the live broadcast and did the debate. And because it's my, pro my promotion with Joe Buddha, of course, I'm going to play the warm-up set. So I'm playing the warm-up set and I kind of get a tap on my shoulder after my set from Ray Paul and Laura Lucan's from One Extra saying, you were really good, do you do radio? Now, at this point, I'd been on Fly FM, I'd been on Pirate for a number of years, I'd mm. tried to be on radio wherever possible. So I said, yeah. They said, oh, well, can you like, run off some of the copies of your show? So after that gig, the gig finished probably about midnight, 1am, I went home, stayed up all night, I did, <laughs> a pi I did a pilot show myself in my yeah. bedroom, I ran off eight hours of the Pirate show that I'd done, turned up to the Broadway the next day where we were doing this talk handed the, ray the cds and he didn't even listen to me he's like i know you're serious you've just given me 10 cds of different radio shows come <laughs> down to london ray. big up ray Paul. exactly he's like come down to london we'll pilot you in the studios and see what happens there's a there's a slot that's come up so a couple of weeks later i went down to london i piloted the show with janine uh, janine kempadu from one extra she was the first producer that i worked with and you know, she's still there and she's big boss Janine now. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, I'm in the studio with my vinyl. She's throwing stuff at me. She's saying, okay, do this, do that, do the other. And I'm reacting, I'm reacting, I'm reacting. And then it made me sit in a part of one extra for about an hour and a half. I'm waiting for Ray to turn up. Ray never turned up. But Janine came in and was like, oh, we want to offer you the show. Sick. And two months later, I started on the Overnight Hip Hop Show. That was 2005 been there ever since so 2005 started on the overnight hip-hop show the hip-hop mix show um i did that until 2007 when i handed over the reins to charlie sloth and that was his first show that he started on um in 2008 manny norte left one extra so i took over his friday night show sorry in 2006 manny norte left one extra and so i took over his friday night show 2007 i started on the weekday show um lorna clark gave me this show that basically was Monday to Thursday, 7 till 10 p.m. You're not playlisted. We just want you to find new music, play across the board of new music because we know that that's what you love and that's what you've always wanted to do. We, we trust you. We're going to give you no guidance. Just go. So I started that in 2007. In 2008, I started a show on Radio 1 um, at 3 a.m. 2009, 3 a.m. became 11 o'clock on Radio 1 on Saturday nights. And then, you know, you fast forward to Trevor leaving in 2014, 2013. And I then moved up to 7 p.m. On, uh, on the Saturday nights. And then 2017, I covered Annie, Annie Mack on Radio 1 when she went on maternity. Just to prove the fact that, you know, that I love lots of different kinds of music. And I've always supported and played lots of different kinds of music. And also being able to be in that slot for a period of time and look after it for Annie allowed me the opportunity to be able to kind of not only show what I could do as a broadcaster, but also give some people some more opportunities. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of, you fast forward to where I am right now, which is doing dance anthems on a Saturday on Radio 1, 
and doing drive time on one extra Monday to Thursday. That's kind of the radio career. And underneath that is lots of different things of, okay, so how can I help? What can I do? How can I help other people? I really want to get involved in the music industry. I really like this music. I'll set up a label. So me and my wife set up a label. Um, we were working with Andy Viley from Insanity. So big the three of Andy. us kind of, big up, big up to Andy. The three of us were working on, on this label and the label started to take a, a, a kind of a life of its own and we signed some records and some of the records went somewhere and, you know, we ended up getting a number one with Second City that, you know, we worked yeah. as speaker box with uh, Ministry of Sound with. Um, we ended up working with Wide Awake, which is where we met. Yes, yes. Big up to CJ, big up to Jordan. Yes, yeah, Jordan yeah. And that was an amazing experience, you know, working with... Was that with... 2010? That was, 2011. That, that was 2011, 2010, 2011. Yeah, 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 ended up yeah, working yeah. With, with Wide Awake, ended up working with Majestic. And, and all through this, we're, we're trying to put on events, we're doing this. All of this stuff that I've been doing, all towards trying to help other people and trying to help other acts... And in the back of my, my mind for the whole thing is like, I'd really like to make music. But by that point, I'm like, I'm the person who plays other people's music. So there's too much pressure for me to make my own music. Mm. And then I kind of got out of my own way in, uh, in 2018 and started to put music out. And that's kind of, that's a potted history of where it brings you up to now. It's all over the place, but that's kind of it. <laughs> Do you know what? That's an amazing summary. And, you know, what I'm taking from it is like, the wearing different hats all because of the passion and love yeah. for music. You know what I mean? And that is an amazing thing. And, you know, even looking at the radio career, it's like you're working through the ladders, you know, you're working through the different shows and you're, it feels like you're on a nice trajectory up. Do you know what I mean? And I just say big up, man. That's amazing. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, know? you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So touching onto the radio, because there's a lot of people that listen to you that will, you know, know that you're the guy that breaks new music. You're the guy that champions new music. Used to, used to, used well, to, used to. Used to, but how did you, you know, just asking? <laughs> I do it dance. You... I do it dance music because of the show, but you know, you, I think, it, I think, look, you know, the interesting thing for me about, I, I assume you were going to say, how do you find new music? No, I wasn't. Oh, I was going to okay. say, how did you find doing the different shows because I'm still on ah. your radio career and what right, cool. is interesting is like for those that don't know every different show requires a different Mr. Jam do you know yeah. what I mean you're doing yeah. different things and I remember certain times I didn't know the early stuff but when I met you I knew you as that guy 7pm to 10 or 11 10 and it was like yeah Jam plays what he wants but you're going to tune in and you want to hear some new shit, and you want to hear some good shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, Thanks, I came, I, I, no, but I'm just being honest. And I, I came around at the time when, you know, you playing a song yeah. meant a lot. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 not that it does it now, but you know what I mean? It just felt like Mr. Jam played my record. You know, yeah. A&Rs are calling me. <laughs> this <one's> calling me. <laughs> because truth I'm... be told, you played Wide Awake first. No, I like did. You, big up CJ, but he gave you Wide Awake. And... I'm a young kid, you know, I've just left uni, but I'm co-managing with CJ and I'm real friends. And before we knew it, we were getting hit up, like, what is this record? Where has mm. it come from? Who are you? Where are you? And you did that, do you know what I mean? So I got to saw, I've got my own first-hand experience of what that was like, but what was it like for you getting 
to have that show or you know even before that i guess moving through the shows what is it like i think you know to, to kind of touch on a few bits that you mentioned there first of all i think the thing that i'm really interested in is an emotional connection as a broadcaster yeah so as a broadcaster I love being able to have an emotional connection with the audience. And the thing that I love the most to be able to get that emotional connection is with music. And whether it is, you know, being that annoying person that is constantly in your ear going, you need to listen to this. This is amazing. This is really good. I found this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Or being the person that goes, can you remember this tune? Mm. You know, either way, it's, it's all about that energy that I really love. And it's all about the energy that I really kind of try and get myself through. And, and as a broadcaster, I've been very lucky in the fact that, you know, I used to cover shows on the world service, the arts program on the BBC world wow. service. <laughs> I used to be talking about, you know, random Malian folk music and you know, just random stuff while I was covering this show. But the thing is, is that, what you're actually talking about is a piece of art. You're talking about something that you can get excited about. You can get underneath the, the kind of the, the bonnet on it. And no matter what show I've done, no matter what genre, whether it's about new music or whether it's about drive time, which is what I do now, it's all the same energy. And that's the thing that I really enjoy doing, which is communicating to people. I think, you know, going back to that seven o'clock show, it was an honour. It was a real honour to be able to kind of press play on something and feel passionate about it and not knowing where it's going to go but you know that you like it and you know that there's something different about it and whether it be you know i've been really really lucky in my career so the first person to play ed sheeran on radio one was me when i see the plaque i see the plaque <laughs> ed's ed ed and his team have, have sent me the plaques you know and that's that's love because i was able to do that but I find that as being luck. And the reason why it was luck is because I'd heard about this kid and this is kind of before the SBTV videos and then the SBTV videos start coming up and then I reach out to him and we've got a mutual friend in Cyan Anderson. It's like, okay, cool. So what's going on here? And then I'm talking to him and he's sending me tracks and I'm thinking, that's cool. Yeah, that tune with JME, that's sick. I'll play it. And then, you know, a random thing happened where Zane Lowe, who used to do the 7pm show on Radio 1, he went um, home to New Zealand. Chris Moyles, who used to do the breakfast show on Radio 1, uh, did this thing for Children in Need, where he tried to do the world's longest radio show ever, managed to smash the world record, him and Comedy Dave. And the idea was, is that all of the shows that would normally be in the Radio 1 schedule would continue but you would become the co-host and Chris and Dave would be the main host. So it would then count towards the Guinness Book of Records. Mm. And I went on the first show, this is 2011. And, you know, I'm saying to him and I'm saying to a Radio 1 audience, here's a new act that you might like. His name's Chipmunk. You know, I, this is a new guy that you might like. His name's Maverick Sabre. Um, here's another guy that you might like from, I called it Framalingam in, in, in Suffolk. Ed Sheeran and you know mm. doing that at the same time as I used to work on this BBC two TV show on switch with uh, the lemonade money production company called um, no hats, no trainers. Mm -hmm. So on BBC two, you'd be able to play interviews and videos from these artists that I'm supporting on the radio at the same time. So the first time tiny tempers on the TV is via this show that I'm the music consultant for and I'm playing him on air. 
you know, the first time Wretch 3 2's on air on TV is, is exactly the same thing. So I just, I feel like all I've done is find stuff that I'm really excited about, but I've also got the platform to be able to play it. And you're right, at that point, I did a lot of a nice jobs for him. <laughs> I, I, I just find it as being, I'm really, really lucky in the fact that I had that, that position and I had that place to kind of, to email heavy trackers and go, I've just seen this kid on YouTube spitting over one of your beats and the tune's called Not That Deep. Can you send me a clean of the tune and can you send me his number? I want to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And then Stormzy's first radio interview is with me. And immediately afterwards, I'm phoning him up afterwards and going, you can't say that on radio. You can't say that on radio. Like, if you're going to pursue this thing, like, you can't say these kind of things on radio. And I'm, I'm really lucky because I'm in that position to be able to do that. And then Stormzy goes where Stormzy goes. Yeah. And I'm doing this thing on One Extra and it's a drum and bass versus grime clash, me and, me and Friction on my show, on my 60 Minutes Live. And Bonkers turns up and Bonkers turns up with this kid and he's like, Jam, this kid's the future. This kid's the future. I'm like, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. It's like, no, 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 this kid's the future. Okay, what's his name? His name's Dave. Like, really? He's a rapper called Dave and you're saying he's the future and you swap details and he sends me this tune and I'm like, wow, this kid's the future. And I started to play the tune um, and then I gave the tune to Charlie Sloth and then the fire in the booth happened and then, you know, what happened with... The and again, that's not design. That's just being lucky. That's just having a platform and being passionate about what you're hearing and thinking, wow, this is good. People deserve to hear this. And then something then goes on and happens with it. So I think, yeah, it's to go right back to the, the first question. It's the energy for me. It's purely about the energy. And if I don't feel the energy, then I can't deliver the show. And I've just been really, really lucky to be able to be in the right place at the right time a number of times. And I feel that you're so across the board, which is like testament to yourself and really shows young people that you don't have to be pigeonholed because I think like, like I said, from when I met you, it's like, I knew I could send you a rap song. I could send you a dance song. I could like, you just have a bit like an eclectic taste, a wide taste. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, getting to do the Radio 1 dance show. Like, how was that? How did that feel? Because that's, you know, amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. It's, it's, you know, not only is it amazing, you know, it's kind of, it's a real honour to be able to kind of do that show and, and to be responsible for, you know, what has become the biggest, you know, radio show on demand across the whole BBC for under 35s, which is ridiculous. Amazing. You got a clap for that. No, thank you. But no, but it is, it's, it's, <laughs> I think for me, again, it goes back to that energy thing. And, you know, talking about the first radio shows that I was doing was hip hop and the, the kind of the, the, the raves that I was putting on tended to have a hip hop base, but I was the kid that would be at a hip hop club playing Daft Punk and getting a forward because, you know, back at the youth club days, I joined a youth club sound system and we'd play dancehall, we'd play hip hop, we'd play garage, we'd play house, you know, we'd play old school reggae, we'd play... I mean, this is pre-grime, so we'd kind of play MC-driven garage tunes. Mm. Um, we'd play anything back-to-back. -back, and the whole point of it as a, as a DJ within that sound system culture is you've just got to draw the biggest tune and it doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. And, and so for me, 
that's where it and and going back to you know the Fisher Price record player and having the Grease soundtrack in one hand and the Stevie Wonder record in the other hand, just having this appreciation and a love for all kinds of music. For me, when you look at where music's gone to, the closest group of genres that is represented by lots of different styles is dance music. And there was a period of time where everybody took it and was understood that dance music was black music. Black music is dance music. It all comes from exactly the same roots. It's all the same thing. And over time, it's become slightly something else, but it still sounds the same. You know, you still use the same disco sample in a hip hop record, or you'd use it in a drill record now, or you'd use it in a house record, but it's all the same root. So for me, being able to be in that position of, being on the dance show, but coming at it from a point of view of not snobbery, but coming at it a point of view of, is it good? And can, does it speak to me? And does, does it bring me that energy that I think would sound amazing on the radio? If the answer is yeah, then I can play it. But because I don't come from, you know, a, a very purist world, it means that I don't really have to have one eye on my back about, is this cool enough for me to play? It's just like, is it good? <laughs> yeah yeah that's amazing man and so touching on to you know this radio career is moving it's doing really well some people just want to be djs and do the bookings and the shows what now leads you to be an executive mr jam what makes you go you know what i'm playing out i'm you know radio shows i'm doing my thing life's all right but I want to run a label, you know, because that's not easy. That's, that's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. It's a whole no. thing. Um, and I think sometimes there's an assumption that if you DJ, you're a good at all, or if you DJ, you're, you're good. But I don't, I don't always know. Do you know what I mean? Personally, mm. but you've proven it because you've had hits, you've had success, you've had big tunes. So, <laughs> What what led to that? What led to you setting up speaker box and signing Second City and you know, you could talk us through it. It's still going now, you still got acts now. Yeah. I mean it's it's still going now. It's in a very, very different kind of setup now compared to where it was. I think, you know, to go back to why, I think if nothing else, I think my story talks about the hustle. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 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 from a council estate in Nottingham. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be in some of the rooms that I'm in. I'm not supposed to be on the BBC with these shows. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. According to them. But you Accord <laughs> no, no, but no, but no, but no, but you understand what I'm saying when I yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, so for me, it's always about, it's not the old, you know, you've got to work twice as hard to get half the results. It's, I've just got to work hard. Because how else am I going to do it? And I've got to try and be the absolute possible best that I can. And, and if there's an opportunity there, then I kind of should look at that opportunity and try and, can it be something? Is it okay? Can it, is, is it something that could happen? And, you know, for me with Speakerbox, it was initially, it was initially about me having a vehicle that was kind of outside of myself that could be shows that could be about shows about putting together shows so we're going back to the point where you know bass music is a thing it's a big thing it's a big part of what it is that i play 
Um, for me, I think, you know, bass music, again, is just, it's just, it's another umbrella term that means a lot of different things, but taking it back to the sound system days, it's, it's basically, it's garage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and it was about putting together some nights. And from that point, it was like, well, I could put together some nights, but there's also a lot of music that I really, really like. And these people don't have labels. And I'm playing stuff on the radio and I'm hearing it before the A&Rs because the A&Rs are listening to my show. If there was a way of me being able to help people and guide people, then that might make some sense. And I don't ever want to abuse my position. So let me go and talk to the BBC first to see if it's something that I can do. Knowing full well that the precedent had been set by the likes of Pete Tong over the years. And, you know, I kind of, I got the green light and we started to work with Speakerbox as a label. We did a deal with Ministry of Sound um, for the events and the label. And that deal didn't quite work out. So we, 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 we kind of left that deal. Mm. And as we'd left that deal, we were working with Rowan, um, Second City. Mm. And he'd delivered this thing called I Want to Feel that was, had a Tony Braxton sample in it, really good good house record really good house record with an big amazing tune. piano in it big tune man and you know about two weeks after we'd left the ministry of sound deal we got a phone call from depeche from ministry going that, that i want to feel record um do you want to work together on it big up uh, depeche big up depeche <laughs> big up to dip and it was like yeah of course we would uh, i mean if if things had happened about a month earlier then they would have had it anyway but the fact is, is that, <laughs> that deal did quite work out and then that record came afterwards. And yeah, it, it was just a really weird situation where, okay, so now I'm on the other side of the table and I'm working with Dip and I'm working with Second City and I got the opportunity to work with uh, Christian Knuckle from Your Army as his plugger and really understanding how a label properly works at the level of ministry was really revelatory to me and you know that that record ended up growing and growing and growing and it became a uk chart number one which was amazing um and from that point onwards it was like okay so this could actually work and because we are an independent entity it made perfect sense for us to be able to almost be the development arm for certain acts so there'd be acts that we'd find that we really liked, that we really thought were really kind of worthwhile and try and work with them. And if something happened, great. If something didn't happen, then never mind. You know, I remember we were working with an act called Cutline and they ended up doing this tune with an amazing singer called Fleur East. And the record didn't really go anywhere. And then a year later, Fleur turns up on the X Factor. It's like, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and, and, and working with Wide Awake and working with Majestic and the idea was is that because we were an independent entity we could partner with other labels wherever we needed to and if we didn't need to partner with another label then we had the back end of an independent distributor if we wanted to go down that route so it was just an idea of could this work and before we knew it we'd got a number one record so yeah it could work and then, you know, working with Andy Varley was amazing. And we got to the point where, you know, we're partnering with this label, partnering with that label, partnering with the other label. The one thing that we lacked was an infrastructure. So I started to talk to a few people to try and see if we could get an infrastructure. And Andy started to talk to a few people about getting an infrastructure for him. 
it was fantastic because it coincided with a large number of things coincided with you know meeting craig david again and having you know really good conversations with craig and the opportunity came up of working with craig on the label side at the same time that andy was talking to um sony for insanity for his company to actually set something up with sony right and let's, not, let's not skip craig because i love that as well because it came from your radio show yeah <laughs> like so, so we're seeing a nice common tie in here we're seeing a nice a friend but not came from as in like oh you know anything dodgy because there's no way that it could be. But, I've, I've, yeah, I've filled in every form. And also right. things like that, you, you, you can't manufacture that. Well, that's what I was going to say, because from what I remember, he happened to just be on, what, the 60 Minutes Live. or Well, you can tell the story, but it felt, it was so organic that no one saw it coming. Nobody yeah. saw Craig David coming <laughs> and going on to be gold or platinum, whatever it was. So that's an amazing thing that you could probably shed some light on quickly, but... Yeah, I mean, I'll do the quick version. Uh, the quick version okay. is that we'd done a few 60 Minutes Lives and the idea of 60 Minutes Live was we'd be live for 60 minutes. That's it. I'd be DJing and we'd have various PAs that would come in and do their PAs. So we did three or four. Then we did the one that blew up um, with General Levy and Dizzy and Fecky and Skepta and JME and Temper T and Splurge Boys, that one that blew up. And then after that, it was, okay, what do we do? And I'd been working with um, the People Just Do Nothing Corrupt FM guys because when they were on just on YouTube, thought they were absolutely hilarious and there was an opportunity to kind of do a sketch with them where they kind of came in on my show and we filmed it and it kind of got put up as a digital short on the BBC and that led to them then getting commissioned and doing the People Just Do Nothing TV show, which is one of the, I think, best British comedies of the last 20 years. It's hilarious. It's brilliant. Very funny. Very funny. Absolutely. So the idea was, is that we do a Corrupt FM um, 60 Minutes Live takeover. Mm. And I was talking to Stanza, who managed them at that point. Big up to Stanza. I was mm. talking to the guys and I was saying, you know, what do you want to do with it? And the idea was, is that they wanted to have some classic garage names and Stormzy as like a new generation guy and turn that hour into if Corrupt FM was a real thing, how would it go down? And the comment was made, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Craig David? Knowing full well that there was no way that any of us could get Craig David. Notting Hill Carnival, Shy FX had booked me and Craig David to go and play at his stage at Carnival. Yeah. So we're there in um, the house behind the stage where Shy's digital soundboy stage used to be. And yeah. it's me, Dread MC, Lily Allen, Craig David. So yeah. I'm explaining to Craig, look, okay, it's a comedy show, but it's not comedy, but it's funny, but it, they're serious. Mm. And I'm explaining it and I'm explaining it. And it took me four hours explaining it to Craig, explaining it to his management. It was like, okay, we'll do it. Craig came up with the idea of using the, um, the Jack U instrumental and singing Fill Me In over the top. Yeah. So we knew, as in me and the Crypt FM guys, knew that Craig was coming in, but we didn't tell anybody else. Yeah. So me and my production team knew, um, Crypt FM guys knew, 
but nobody else knew. So but when Big Nasty's in the studio and he sees Craig David and he loses his mind, that's real because we didn't <laughs> tell him that Craig was coming. Yeah. But me, when Craig had said, oh, can you try and get the instrumental for Jack U? I then hit Diplo up and I was like, can I get the instrumental? I was like, yeah, no problem. Sent me the instrumental. And again, none of this was designed. The reaction wasn't designed, mm. but we just did it. And it went off. And it was nuts. And that was the first time that Big Nasty met Craig David in the studio. Mad. And from that point onwards, they were like, we should go into the studio and we should make a tune together. And then because they'd made the tune together, Craig said, you should listen to this tune. And I listened to the tune and I was like, this tune's sick. Yeah. So then we started to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. about, is there a way that we could work together to put this out? And like I say, that coincided with Andy and his position. So the first record, the Big Nasty and, uh, and, and Craig record, when the baseline drops, that came out independently as a joint venture between Speakerbox and Gem, uh, the management company that worked with Craig, big up to Colin Lester. Much, much love to Colin Lester. Um, yeah, and then the opportunity presented itself to maybe work with Craig on a longer term basis because it had coincided with Andy getting the deal done with Sony for Insanity. Um, it meant that Speakerbox could go under Insanity as an imprint label and we could sign Craig. And then that kind of led to where Craig went to. And again, like it, that process of working with Craig on the Following My Intuition album was just mind blowing. Like this was the guy that, and I mean, I said it to Colin and I said it to Craig. I've said it numerous times. There was very few people that looked like me who came from a similar background as me that I could look at in the industry and go, if they could do it, maybe I could. Craig was one of the few. So then have the opportunity to work with him. And he's asking me for my opinion on music that he's making. And is there anybody that he should get in the studio with? That just like, I didn't know. Listen, <laughs> you might not want to say it, right? But I'll say it. That brought Craig David back. That song <laughs> relaunched Craig David's career. Because nobody ever saw, and again, if you said, Craig David's going to work with Big Nasty, and that song's going to be a smash and Craig's going to come back with an album. It just wouldn't, like, people would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But, Craig is one of the most talented artists we have ever produced in this country. It is, he is ridiculously talented. So again, I'm just, I'm lucky that I was there. I'm lucky that I was there and in the position. And you know, where we are with it now, like I say, is that it now operates as an imprint label underneath Insanity at Sony. In, and, you know, I'm, I'm creative director for it um, with my wife, Claire, who, you know, she works with me. Big but the, big, big up Mrs. Jam, literally nothing that I do would have been possible without her. Like to the level of when I used to go to gigs, we used to share the drive. I'd drive there and she'd drive back and then I'd go to my day job or we'd go to our day job because that's where we met at a day job. I love that. I think my girlfriend's listening in. I love that. Listen, if, <laughs> if, if, if your girlfriend's listening in and she tips in as much as, she, as my wife tips in, then boy, <laughs> like it's crazy. But no, like, so the way it works now is that, you know, it's, 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 it's works as an imprint under insanity. We kind of, if there's anything that I find that I'm really passionate about, I'll take it to them and see if they like it. And if they're passionate about it, they can work it. If they're not passionate about it, then, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it is as it is. And we've been very lucky in the fact that, you know, we're working with Joy Crooks. So she's one of the artists that signed to the label and, and Sammy Porter as well. He's again, an amazing producer DJ. 
and it's, it's you know Joy Crooks is you know she's kind of a folk soul neo soul amazing artist that's just really soulful and just she's got a story to tell that is absolutely timeless and fantastic and then you've got Sammy Porter who's just a fantastic producer and DJ just yeah. firmly in the dance music lane you know he's got his love juice brand he runs with that and he just absolutely smashes everything that he kind of he he puts together but they're two they're not supposed to be on the same label but they are yeah. and that's again that's that's where i am it's just i like good music and I, i'm attracted by the energy and i also um i'm gonna put you on the spot because i heard a little story and this shows testament to your ears and your you know a and r now so your dj now that a little birdie told me you was first on james hype you, yeah you, you saw james hype first and you were like <laughs> this song's gonna be a hit yep. <laughs> that's what that is currently at 100 million streams <laughs> <laughs> i mean so, it, I, yeah i mean look james is super talented supremely talented and, and again i met him and i'd heard these demos and he'd you know, he was making these things. He was making these remixes. Big up to the DJ City family. You know, he's doing these remixes. And I was talking to him. And, you know, we were having a conversation about maybe doing something for Speakerbox. And, you know, more than friends happened. Because he'd, he'd, he'd managed to link up with Kelly Lee to, to re-vocal it. And he started off with, like, the, the On Vogue sample and whatever. And, and then, you know, for whatever reason, the deal didn't get done. But, you know, it was a big record. It was a very, very big record. So I'm really happy to see what, what happened with James. And... And big up to Anton Partridge, man. He's, he's the guy over at Warner that picked up the deal when he was at Warner and gave it the, the push that it needed to get the record where it needed to go. So, at this point, Jam, you are a DJ. You are breaking records. You've got a great show. You're Radio 1, Red Extra, your speaker box, your executive, your A&R, you're having hits. What makes you now say... I want to put out music. Let's talk about the ja Mr. Jam. <laughs> Mr. Jam, the artist. Now, Mr. Jam, the artist. Because you're an artist. You know, what? Yeah. How does that come around and how is that going? How Let's talk about that. I'll tell you how it didn't come around and it didn't go. I spent so long working on music because, you know, again, I'll go back to where I first started, the, the, the recording studio. Mm. So before I learned how to DJ, I was taught studio engineering. I was taught how to mix on a mixing desk, use an Akai sampler, use, you know, Roland sound banks and whatever. Use, we used, had a reel-to-reel -reel tape, so we taught how to stripe a tape and all that kind of stuff. So I was making beats from then. But mm. I would spend hours in the studio making beats, but no one would like my beats. <laughs> so I'd play it's them like to all the... Ra exactly. I'd play them to the rappers that I was working with. It was like, nah, 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 so I kind of sat on the beats and then when I was working with Joe Buda, Joe Buda was like, you're good, keep making stuff. And we ended up putting a record out with an artist called Shabazz the Disciple in 2003. He's, I think he's Rizza's cousin. So he's like Wu-Tang affiliate, yeah. this underground record. And I'm thinking, right, okay, I'm going to make beats and I'm, 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 I'm going to start making beats for people. So I had my MPC at that point and I'm making beat after beat after beat after beat and nothing's happening with everything. You know, CDs are getting handed to people. No one's really that interested. Did a track with Estelle. Estelle was like, eh. and to be fair, it was a dodgy beat. So hundred <laughs> percent like, so nothing happened. And so I had no confidence in it and I kept making music and 
you know, we're going back to Cubase on, on the Atari to every time that I've had a laptop from the first time that I had a laptop, I'd have Logic on there or I'd have Reason on there or I had Ableton on there. So I was making and making and making. And it came to a point where I started to work with my previous manager, Sean Holbrook. Big love to Sean. Big love to Sean. I started to work with him and I played him some of the stuff that I'd been making, just kind of saying, look, you know, I've always wanted to do this, but I've never had the, the, the confidence. Mm. And he was like, yeah, no, some of, this is, some of this is actually quite good. In fact, this is a really good idea. Let me send this to someone. So he sent this, the, the idea that was Rotate to Cedric Gervais, who is a very, very big French house EDM DJ mm -hmm. uh, based over in LA. He liked it. So it was like, okay, cool. So I'll finish it properly and we'll get it mixed and mastered then, shall we? <laughs> and, you know, before I knew it, the record was released. I'm thinking, okay. So maybe I should make some more stuff. But then again, I just got caught up in my own head. Mm. And big love to Tiny. Big love to Dummy. Um, and the whole Disturbing London crew. Because they'd booked me for Disturbing Ibiza. Mm. And MK was there. Legendary producer MK. If you don't yeah. know about MK's credits, go and look at MK's credits. Like He's a proper, proper, proper legend. Mm. From producing for Pitbull to having some of the most iconic house music of all time to the stuff that you know is being sampled today that's that's yeah. mk and he's still relevant today and he's you know filling stadiums and i was talking to him about making music and he was like just get out of your own way man just get out of your own way <laughs> well, like, well if mk is telling me just get out my own way then maybe i should and yeah. rotate was out there and it was doing its thing and you know fat boy slim picked up on it and started playing it in all of his arena shows and his big festival shows, David Getter was playing it in his radio show. Like, it's just, it's random and weird how it's happened. And from that point, I was like, do you know what? I've always wanted to do this. I've always written songs. I've always made beats. But I've never had any confidence whatsoever in making, in actually putting some stuff out. So we got into a situation with Armada, which is a very big electronic label based over in Amsterdam whereby I've got my own production imprint from my own stuff called Dance Energy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, look, it goes back to what I'm talking about. It's, it's about the energy of a record rather than the genre. Yeah. And so that's just a vehicle for me to put music out on. And, you know, we're, we're three singles in and it's just, it's weird and, and lovely. And <laughs> I really, really enjoy making music. And, you know, I always... I'm always really self-conscious about stuff because, like I said, I've spent so long being the person that plays other people's music and I've got good ears for stuff that I've supported. Mm. But there's always that thing in the back of my head that goes, is this good enough? Is this good enough? But then I start playing it out when we could play out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I go, yeah. okay, no, this is all right. This is okay. This is okay. So my, my, my biggest enemy at the moment is, is my own confidence. Mm. But... I'm now rolling in a space where, you know, I've got some really good records coming up. <laughs> I've got some, I've worked on some really good songs. I can imagine. I can imagine. And I'm really excited. Listen, and I've got to say, Jam, man, big up because you're just being real and people don't see that to be an artist is not easy. And we all, we, all, all of us that work in music, whatever capacity, 
you have those days. It's a roller coaster. You know, days mm. you feel on top of the world, and there's days when you feel like I don't want to do this, or why am I doing this, or you know, is this going to be received well? And all we've all got is just ideas in our head and a love for music that we try yeah. to put out of it. Do you know what I mean? So I know that sometimes you know you beat people, I beat people, and it's like they almost look at you like, oh, you're an A&R, you're a DJ, you're superhuman. It's like, no, I'm human like you. No, <laughs> you know, no. You know, we have our moments. So that is an amazing summary. And I feel like you've touched on so many things in the up-and-coming DJ could learn, the up-and-coming executive could learn. And I'm feeling that common theme of the hustle, the energy, and just doing it. Do you know what I mean? Just getting mm. out and doing it. Don't be in pigeonholed and don't be in you know, don't be locked into anything. Do what you want to do. Do you know what I mean? And that's amazing. So time's running out, but I want to I wanna get into some questions. While yes, sir. Here, because we've got seven and, you know, we've got 20 odd people listening in. So um, let's go for a few. Rose Cooper 24 said, what's your favourite set you have done? Ooh. Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. <laughs> I've I've been really really lucky with a lot of the stuff that I've done. I think the 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 one most recent memorable set um, was supporting Jack Jones at Brixton Academy. That was amazing. Supporting Nile Rodgers and Sheik on their arena tour a couple of years ago was amazing. Creamfields last year was amazing. On the radio, of course, the sixty minutes lives have been fantastic. And I love, I, I suppose, in terms of radio, I love, I love what I get the chance to do every week on dance anthems and when I'm doing traffic jam mixes, I'm one extra. So yeah, it's just, there's so many, there's so many. I'm really, really looking. There's loads, <laughs> and there's more to come. So, so you know, you're not getting one right now, Rose. I'm available for bookings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Chris Day One Or says, "What is your go-to DAW?" I see Able DAW is a term. Digital no? audio workstation. So what's the, right. what's the what's the software that you use to make your music basically? I use Ableton. Um I've I, I trained on Logic and Cubase. Uh I used Reason for a number of years. Ableton just tends to work the way that my brain works, which is not that complicated. <laughs> Love that. And then we've got one here. Some of them are nonsense. This is our first one. Uh, Jacob says, I'm sorting out music production. Any tips? Yes. Um, make a lot of stuff. Make a lot of stuff. Not everything's going to be good. In fact, most of the stuff that you make will be terrible. But the drums from one thing might sound fantastic on the uh, piano from another thing. And, you know, just keep making, keep making, keep making, keep making. There's no such thing as too many beats. It's, it's taken me the best part of 15 years to be able to get the confidence to release the stuff that I'm making now. So, yeah, just keep making. And I've got a few questions. I always ask people, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell the younger Mr. Jam? Question. You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the journey that I've had to get to where I am right now. So all I'd tell the younger Mr. Jam is keep going. Keep going. That's but I don't think... Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> don't, stop. don't stop. They look back. They look left. They look right. Just keep going. <laughs> Put one foot in front of the other and try and do the next right thing. 
Oh, a couple have come in, right? So one, this is a good one. You might want to sh give us an exclusive. What collaborations have you got on the way? Where have you gone, Jam? Where are you hiding? Um, uh, I've got a really, really good collaboration. The next single should be with... Um, it's, no, actually, the next single is a, a sample. The one afterwards, Annalisa Lamola. She's an amazing vocalist. So I've got a collaboration with her. Um, there's other people that I'm working with, but you know, time time will tell. Time will tell. If you want to hear me working with other people, then go and listen to the stuff that I've put out so far. <laughs> Makes sense. And one last one come in. I think it's a great question. Even though Richard Costello should have put it in the box, because <laughs> a lot of black people from Nottingham have made a go at the music business. Oh, they're from Nottingham, I assume he's trying to say. Why do you think that is? What is it in Nottingham? There's a unique set of talent in Nottingham. And I think, you know, because we, we're in the middle of the country, we're not Northerners, we're not Southerners, we're Midlanders. We're not as far over as Brum. We're kind of smack bang in the middle of the country. I think the unique cultural mix that Nottingham's got that I've not seen in any other country, in any other city, in any other town... I think means that there's just so many creatives. I think as well, there's so many amazing programs for people like me and Rich, where we can go and learn our craft and get involved in stuff. You know, Rich got into the business side of it through being a performer, which mm. again is, is something that I've done. There's so many places where you can go in Nottingham where you don't have to spend a penny to learn. You just have to have that work ethic. I think it just breeds a different kind of work ethic that I notice that all people in the music industry from Nottingham have. That's amazing. And I think that one for one last one, uh, Dylan says, what was your greatest achievement of your whole career so far? That's a good one. Oh, greatest achievement of my career. So far. So far. Mm. I'm still here. That's it for me. I, I'm still here. And, 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 and I love it still. In fact, I probably love it more now than I ever have done. And I don't know what the future holds. I have no idea whatsoever. But I think my past and my history has proven that all I have to do is keep moving, keep focused and keep connecting to that energy and I'll be all good. Whether I end up, you know, discovering the next whatever or my music blows up or, you know, the BBC decide to get rid of me or someone gives me an opportunity, whatever it may be, I just kind of need to keep focused on the energy. I need to keep focused on that thing that caught me with this when I was two. That's what I need to focus on. So, yeah, that kind of answers the question, but it doesn't. <laughs> Listen, that's amazing. And we've literally got, you know, a minute left and time flies when you're having fun and... I want to draw it there because I, we could be here all night answering questions and, you, you know, a lot of people see you on live. But I just want to say thank you very much for doing this. I think your journey is amazing. It's inspirational. There's a lot of gems that people coming up, young, old, whatever, can take from it. And um, thank you for doing Tempo and Flow Music Industry Talks, Jam. And thank you, Lloyd. Thank no, you no, 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 Lloyd. Seriously, thank you. I've, I've seen your come up. And it's, you, you are the future president of a record label, like 100%. Oh, and, when, and when you are, give me a job. 
<laughs> a consultancy. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so, thank you very much. So, big love. Tuning in. This has been music. Uh, Tempo Flow Music Industry Talks. That's what I should say. Yes. This is a, this is a podcast jam. It's going to be on Spotify, Apple. This video is going to be up. We're out. See you soon. See you later.